No my Haidemai and welcome to the Seed Pod, a podcast where we explore the wonders of nature and the connections that bring us closer to the earth. Each episode, we invite guests to share their stories of nature connection and to nerd out with us about everything from plant identification to bird watching. I'm your host and fellow nature enthusiast, Sean Crowley, and I'm excited to dive deep into the natural world with all of you. So sit back relax, and let's get lost in the beauty of nature. Kia ora koutou. welcome back to The Seed Pod. This is episode four, and I'm super excited to be joined by Spencer. Welcome, Spencer. Kia ora, of course, Spencer Tokuingua. Um, I'm a freshwater ecologist, a scuba diver, and a water bug connoisseur. Amazing, I love that title. <laughs> so good. Would you like to tell a story from your nature connection journey? Yeah, um, so I was quite a late bloomer into getting into uh, experiencing nature. I spent most of my time reading books about dinosaurs and sharks. Um, but the first time I went snorkeling, I was 16 and I built my first mask and snorkel. I was about to do my open water dive course. I was like, I should probably learn how to do this. So off the mount um, in Tauranga, there's a stone jetty. So I jumped in and immediately there's a school of kahawai being chased by kingfish. Like two massive kingfish just chasing them around. It was like my first time ever snorkeling in the water. I was like, what the heck? This is amazing. So that was a pretty good introduction and kind of set me down a a wet path of nature. (laughs) So your uh, journey started in the water and it's continued all the way through in many different ways as well. I'd love to hear kind of how your journey with scuba has continued from there and if you have any other stories to tell because you've been to so many amazing places with that as well. Yeah, um, so it's a bit weird. I was like, I want to do marine science. And then I went and studied at AUT, the Auckland University of Technology. And then I kind of decided that marine science isn't for me. And then I went to terrestrial and then I went to socioecology and then I was like, freshwater's lame. I don't want to do that. And then I accidentally did a freshwater project. And now that's kind of like my thing and my job. Um, that's great. But recently I've gotten back into scuba diving, which has been really, really cool. Um, especially in Auckland, we've got Got Island and the Poor Nights and it's been really exciting. Another question for your scuba diving has there been like a really cool experience that you've had with a species while going out diving other than your amazing kingfish story? Um, so one of my, the, one of the best dive sites in the entire world is the Poor Knights Islands, which is um, oh, about an hour off uh, Tutukaka in Northland. Um, and it is absolutely incredible. Um, they get a lot of tropical currents through there. So you get some tropical fish, even more now with that pesky climate change, but there's been <laughs> whale sharks there. There's been like lots of different species that come in on those ocean currents. Um, turtles, and there's heaps of stingrays there. Um, but one of my favorite is the sand edges wrasse, um, which don't like you. And they're like, get away from my females, bro. And uh, <laughs> they, I've been bitten by them a couple of times. Um, they come up and like, come in your mask. Um, they don't like camera lenses. There's a few really funny photos of them, like right up against the camera lens. Um, oh my gosh. And also there's so many like moray eels there. It's really, really cool. Crystal clear visibility. Um, I've been bitten by two spot demoiselles um, because they protect their nest and they come like hang around on a rock and I'll like swim past and like I'm gonna take a little bite out of my hand there's a very funny video of them biting my hand in slow motion 
Um, Might have to get that off you. Yeah, also Huey, Huey, uh, like to swim into your mask as well because they see the reflection. They're like, come at me, bro. Um, yeah. yeah, they're quite scrappy. It's quite funny. Yeah, I have had a fish as well get quite territorial with me and I thought it was quite interesting at first. I was like, this fish seems to really love me. It's following me around. And then it was like right at me. So yeah, interesting yeah. experiences. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about your work? Um, you can start wherever you want, I guess. Yeah. Um, so my most recent thing is um, I worked as a aquatic macroinvertebrate taxonomist. So I was looking at freshwater bugs. Um, and I also did a lot of freshwater education where we took um, some schools to the local stream and we pretty much did like a monitoring session. So we looked at like turbidity and we looked at the bugs and the fish. I set fish traps overnight and I would show these kids the fish, which is uh, really, really cool. And I also do quite a bit of um, consulting as well, um, working with landowners and certain developments uh, to have the best ecological outcomes. Awesome. So it's quite the mix of things that you get to be part of. There's that education side of things, but also the consulting um, and also the, the landscape scale projects as well that you're involved in. So do you have a favorite fish? <laughs> I uh there's many ferret fish I've got the Klufa flathead galaxid which I've never seen and I hope I do one day but they have really thick lips and it's really funny um but Amazing. I really do like tuna and native eels um they're always fun the kids love seeing them when I pull out this massive eel that I can barely lift um and they're all so charismatic and they're really like cantankerous is the best word I can think of to describe them like they sit there in the pools and they're all grumpy um <laughs> And they're just so fun to teach these kids. And like, if they're small ones, I do a lot of fish salvage. So taking fish out of ponds, like when they're not really meant to be there for a development. And I get to hold the little baby eels and put them back in their streams where they belong instead of like a filthy muddy pond that they've just like hunkered down in. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah and that's such a cool project to be involved in as well. Like knowing that you're giving them a better place to live, translocation, I guess, as you would call it. And being able to share in that moment with the students and see their reactions to this, maybe a new species that they haven't interacted with before as well. Yeah, so. It's really cute, especially because eels are actually quite common in Auckland streams. So often I hear stories of kids like, oh, I took my parents to the stream and we saw this really big eel and I tried to touch it, but it didn't like me. And I'm like, okay, please don't get bit, <laughs> but that's really cool. <laughs> I love that. It's that connection that's going beyond the sessions that you're running and you know that that care and that spark of curiosity is, is obviously being shared with their friends and whanau, which is exactly what we want. Now, I think the Clutha flathead is the one that's just come up in some eDNA research. Is that mm, correct? Yes. I yeah. think it has. Yeah, I think there's more than they expect there were, which is really, really cool. Um, yeah, they've found it in an area they weren't expecting. And I think something that I've been investigating recently is the use of eDNA. So it's super topical. Um, and with that use of eDNA, we're able to figure out what species are present, even if we haven't found them in the physical monitoring, which I think is a really good tool to be able to use, obviously, with all other tools that we get to use in monitoring. But it does kind of enact that responsibility to care for the things that we can't even see, which can be really hard. 
But I think that's very similar, in my opinion, to macroinvertebrates. Not many people know that there's bugs filling our river systems. Um, and we were able to share in a little bit of a story about a uh, cool caddis um, fly or caddis nymph, as you would call it, um, in our last episode. So if you'd like to talk about some of those surveys, maybe what that looks like um, and how you share that education with um, other people as well. Yeah, so um, there's two types of macroinvertebrate assessments. Different macroinvertebrates in the streams have a sensitivity score from one to 10. So one, they're really tolerant to pollution and 10 is like they need the most pristine water. Um, so if we look at them, we can tell how healthy a stream is, um, a really broad perspective of that. And often for developments and stuff, they'll send us preserved bug samples and I'll look at them under a microscope to the genus level. So it's quite um, difficult to ID some of them. Um, and the other ones we do it just by eyesight in different like broad groups for the kids, um, which is really, really fun. And they're super, super cool. Just like it's a living indicator for how the stream is doing. And I am an absolute nerd for these things. I'm like, oh my God, it's this. And the kids are like, I don't know what that means, but sure, I guess. But I'm like, it's a colorobriscus one. And they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> but I love it. Um, I often, if I go on a hike, I'll be like looking at streams and people walk past and I'm like, please ask me what I'm doing so that I can tell you about the bugs. Or I'm like yeah. looking under every rock and I'm like, what do we have in store today, team? And I look at all the bugs. Um, I love them all for my heart and soul. Despite being an invertebrate taxonomist, I am deathly afraid of terrestrial invertebrates. If they're moist, don't care. If they're on the land, I like them, but from like, I have a restraining order on them. Wetters are cool, but from like five meters away, they can stay <laughs> over there. I will freeze if I see a wetter. I'm getting better, but they scare me. Cockroaches? Nah-uh. Spiders? No way, Jose. Not for me. <laughs> That's so interesting because obviously they are very similar in so many different ways, but is there a reason, like, do you think there's anything that kind of spurred on this fear for the terrestrial bugs? Yeah, I think the reason I like aquatic invertebrates is because I'm really familiar with them and they yeah. behave very interestingly. They they just wriggle around, but with yeah. like a spider, I have no clue what that thing is going to do. And I love my some pattern recognition. And if I can't <laughs> tell what they're going to do, it's quite frightening. So if I understood them better and I could like predict their movements, I'd probably like them, but I'm too afraid to find out. Fair enough. And that's so interesting. Again, like it connects into a story that I was telling last time with how uh, understanding those creatures that you're interacting with in your environment actually helps a lot of different things. Like firstly, being able to identify what species you're working with helps you figure out where they live and what their behaviors are. And then that helps you if you're wanting to find said species, knowing how they interact will help you kind of know what to look for as well and know what signs are around for that species. But I guess it goes the same way for ferris. If you don't know the thing that you're interacting with or is coming into your space, then yeah, it can definitely um, have that sense of fear because you're, you don't know what you're working with. Spencer, you've said that you are absolutely obsessed with macroinvertebrates. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, um, so I am a person who has ADHD, which means that I like to have quite big obsessions. And I think that conservation is the absolute best career choice for someone with ADHD. 
because I can put my entire passion into these things. When I work with other people and I'm like, I know the bugs, I know where they live, I know about them, I dream of them. <laughs> I see them up like if I see a shape that looks like them, like that looks like this, um, which is pretty unique. I uh, thought I was normal on that, but <laughs> not quite apparently. <laughs> um, it's so awesome. it's a very interesting career choice where I can, like it is my obsession, it's my passion. Um, same with scuba diving, like dinosaurs and sharks growing up. I can put all my focus into that. And it's not like, it's not my work life. And like on my free time, I go spotlighting and I look for these bugs and these fish. So when I can put my passion to my work, I find it really rewarding. Um, and it's just fun like to nerd out together. It's just really stimulating and it's really nice and wholesome. I totally agree with that. I've had quite a lot of experience working with a variety of students, various ages and, and various neurotypicals as well as neurodivergence. I have one story in particular and I just love to share it because it just, it does speak volumes to the fact that conservation or restoration or being out in nature can connect students to learning that really struggle in the typical classroom environment. There was this one student in particular that I was working with that I didn't really know what he was interested in we were doing a range of different activities that introduced the students to pest control to bird monitoring to plants to fungi to bugs obviously um, and it was in our fungi lesson which he just suddenly everything clicked for him and suddenly he went from the student who was disengaged and found it really hard to regulate himself and he changed into this student who was able to capture his imagination with all of these different fungi. And I learned so much from him because he was obsessed with fungi. And from that moment onwards, I learned to be able to include those passions from all of the different students that I worked with into the lessons so that they were able to have that moment that where they shone. And they were able to be the teachers and I was able to learn alongside the other students. And I just think those moments are so special. And I totally agree that being able to see the world through different eyes is not uh, in any way, shape or form a disadvantage. I think it's a really important ability to have. And I think it's a superpower in a lot of ways to be able to uh, really focus in on things and care so deeply about them that you want to do it all the time. I think that's awesome. Yeah, another thing I really like about outdoor education specifically is it's very sensory. Um, you can touch the ground, you can touch the water, you can like touch the fish and the bugs and you can smell everything. You can feel like the humidity in the air. It's so sensory and that mm -hmm. really engages a lot of people. Um, like me, when I was growing up, I really struggled sitting in a classroom. I'd get really agitated and I want to like, walk around. But as soon as we went outside and did PE or a field trip, I was like focused all the time. Um, when I do field work, it's my absolute favorite thing is to be able to go out. It's much more exciting than the office and I can just focus. And like, that's where I really, really shine. And I get, even with scuba diving, I struggle to focus in life. But as soon as I hop in the water, complete focus, yeah. which I find really nice. And I totally uh, have quite a deep connection to this because I'm actually on my own journey to uh, getting a diagnosis for ADHD, I believe. So it's uh, been a very interesting learning journey for me as well and kind of pinpointing my hyperfocuses. And this seed pod has come out of one of them because I am obsessed with nature connection and being able to access that uh, for a whole bunch of people. Um, and podcasting is one thing that I actually learned 
by uh, teaching it essentially. So I work in collaboration with a lot of different organizations and one of them uh, has a lot of technology in which they are able to use to share and um, connect students to lots of different ideas. And it was a connection between podcasting technology and speaking up or taking action. And I just saw that as such an incredible way to get uh, those stories out there, as well as connecting to lots of guests and being able to learn with them. And it was something that I always struggled with is getting my words out. And then learning that these students that I was working with at intermediate school were just so confident with their abilities. They just got it done and they didn't second guess themselves. And so that gave me the confidence to just start this and go, why not? Like, what is holding me back? Uh, is there any point in me holding myself back from this thing that I actually find really um, stimulating and can actually be a really cool thing to do? So I'm really stoked um, that I've been able to be on this learning journey and, and identify those hyper-focuses and be able to use them to create good in the world as well. A lot of people start with dinosaurs and then that kind of inspires a interest in animals beyond that. So in Melbourne recently, um, Angus and I... Oh, on so our jealous. That was so cool. So cool. So we went to Melbourne Museum and I was just obsessed. We spent oh, a long time there and it was just everything that we absolutely are obsessed with and love. So there was the biggest dinosaur exhibit that I've ever witnessed in a museum. Mm and like full dinosaur skeletons, the most complete uh, triceratops um, skeleton in the world, 85% complete. Very cool. But not only was it like this amazing dinosaur skeleton that you just kind of come around the corner and then it's just lit up in the most perfect way that it just like holds the entire room. The exhibit then went upstairs as well and you could, it was various fossils, but you could interact with them. You could feel the size of this the fossil. I, I'm assuming it was a cast, but feel it. And then on the screens, there was like this full 3D model where you could like rotate the fossils, see where it like connected into the like said species, how they could figure out it was from the species that they knew it was from. And it was just the most amazing exhibit ever. And then on top of that, they had the full bug exhibition and mm. then a full forest inside the museum. It was just amazing. I truly do believe that the connection between the past and those amazing creatures that used to be around and kind of the connections to how we see those things develop over time and what we now have is just such an interesting path to um, mm. connect into and it makes sense that so many young kids are interested in dinosaurs because who wouldn't be? I think another really interesting part of that is a science, I guess we call it, called paleo art, which yeah. is the reconstruction of prehistoric animals based on their fossils. And obviously we probably would never know what they look like. Um, yeah. So it's up to artist interpretation. Yeah. And it's really interesting seeing um, what a lot of people can come up with. There's a um, set of um, artwork by one of my favorite artists, um, CM Kozman, and it's he drew modern like extant animals that um, 
with as if we were drawing them my dinosaurs so they're like really skeletal like that it's called skin wrapping which is when you just like draw skin over the bone instead of like having the muscles that modern day animals well live animals we know that they have um yeah. that's a really popular um series of artwork it's really interesting especially with, like colors and stuff and like behavior we have to um predict that there's a wonderful documentary series called prehistoric planet um on apple tv they just released the second season um and it's a lot of um also hypothetical behavior um and you've got like inflatable sacks on their neck or you've got like there's a dinosaur called carnotaurus and it has really stubby arms and they had like um patterns on its chest so it would like display its arms out and look and try and attract mates like the way that peacocks do um so it's really interesting that kind of behavior that we can just like we will never know but it's not entirely impossible (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I guess that's the same as like now knowing that a lot of dinosaurs probably had feathers, which Mm. I mean, you wouldn't know that from just the skeletal remains that they find in fossils, because you don't get to see the whole picture of what that creature was like, the patterns, the colors, all of that. So yeah, it is super interesting thinking about that from an art perspective of how they kind of figure that out, how they reconstruct that. And then I actually saw at the museum, they had a model of how things had changed uh, over time as to what they thought dinosaurs looked like. And it was so interesting and how uh, different it was to how we now see those dinosaurs that you know I don't know how long it was like maybe a hundred years ago they would have thought actually it had arms in this place rather than this place or it had longer arms or shorter arms and it didn't have something on its head or it did yeah there's a few cases like that um they found giant claws and they were like it's a massive dinosaur it's got the biggest claws you've ever seen turns out that they were the rib cage of a turtle um <laughs> And just like, because they just look like claws. How are you meant to know? And then you find yeah. more in the skeleton and you compare it to modern day animals and you realize that hey, maybe we were wrong. A yeah. place I really want to visit is uh, the Crystal Palace in London where they have, um, I don't remember his name, but he made these, he got like commissioned these massive statues of of what dinosaurs and they were just like lumbering giant iguanas, um, wow. like Iguanodon and Megalosaurus. Um, and we now know that they had a spike on their thumb, which they probably used for self-defense, but they yeah. have it on their nose and they're like these big reptiles. And he like made one that you can like climb and he had like a fantastic dinner there, but they're just like completely incorrect. But it's really interesting to see um, uh, what we thought they look like. I feel like that's similar to the dinosaur that they had reconstructed wrong because it was a dinosaur that had claws on the sides as thumbs. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't remember the name of it. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would be the place to go for diving for you? Um, the Komodo Islands are pretty cool. Um, I have some really weird, like, I want to do ice diving, like, Ooh. underneath an ice shelf, which is, like, freaky, and it's going to be so cold, but I really want to do that. Um, and diving, like, really big quarries and stuff, that sounds really cool. Um, I haven't been overseas, so not. I don't. I have an experience with tropical water, but I'm sure as soon as I dip my foot in, and I'm like, "Wow, it's warm and it's not ice cold," um, would be probably pretty intoxicating to feel. Uh, 
Yeah, for sure. Cold water is a huge barrier, like being in the water for long enough that you get to experience the really cool deep areas, but also like being able to look after yourself and make sure that you don't get too cold in the process of being out there. So yeah, it's um pretty cool to think about uh, the experiences that people have been able to have in the water that a lot of people don't get to experience. A lot of people haven't seen under the water. And so it's really hard to care about those environments and the things that live there. I'm more comfortable in the water than I am on land. Um, I It's like a different world for me. So bringing people who haven't been in the water before, I'm like, it's okay, trust me, I got this. I've it's been doing awesome. this for many, many years. I have spent many hours in the water. Um, you will be great and showing them that and being able to point out techniques because I also like I went into that journey quite late in my life I only snorkeled when I was 16 um so being able to share that experience from a person who I wasn't I just didn't swim like as a kid I didn't do that much swimming but now I am swimming quite a lot so yeah that's awesome Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Seed Pod. It's been amazing hearing about your nature connection journey and it's uh, exciting that you've had so many cool experiences with lots of different species and lots of different environments as well. Thank you for having me. No worries.